ASICS athlete Lindsay Flanagan continued her uber successful 2022 campaign with a personal best and course record victory at the recent Gold Coast Marathon. Lindsay's mark makes her one of four American women this year to run under two hours and 25 minutes. She joins us this week for a conversation about that breakthrough win down under, the training that helped her cover the 26.2-mile course in such dominant fashion, and perhaps our most passionate discussion yet of breakfast food preferences. Lindsay is such a great ambassador for our sport, and we're so grateful she took time from her training schedule in Mammoth Lakes to be with us. We're also super appreciative of our friends at Due South Coffee Roasters who support the show. For the next three days, from now until end of day, Sunday, August 14th, Due South has their end of summer back to school sale online. Visit DueSouthCoffee.com and add any three bags of coffee to your cart and you'll automatically pay only for two and get one free. So check it out, drink up, and enjoy. Now, without further delay, here's Lindsay Flanagan and mile 126 of Seconds Flat. Seconds Flat. Give me up. Look at Look at This is the second flat running podcast. Lindsay, thanks for sharing the time. How are things in Mammoth Lakes? Oh, well, thank you for having me. I have been in Mammoth Lakes for about two weeks now. I'll be here for another two weeks, kind of starting my, my marathon prep. But it's it's beautiful up here. It's um, it's challenging. You know, the house I live at is at 8,000 feet. Most of the runs are between like eight and 9,000 feet. So really good to get me out of my comfort zone. And uh, honestly, it's always nice to just mix things up and, and train somewhere new. Yeah, so you live in Boulder, and I would assume then Mammoth is about another two to 3,000 feet higher in elevation. Is that correct? Yes. Boulder, I, I want to say my house is at maybe like 5,600. Okay. Um, so about two, two and a half, 3,000 feet higher here. So always nice when you can like leave, when you have like the luxury of time and, and training, like to leave for a month, get a new stimulus and, and kind of go back down will be kind of what I'm looking for this month. How frequently do you use the higher altitude stint and is a month a typical stay for you? Yeah, this is actually the first time I've come up a little bit. The first time I've been to Mammoth, um, I've done Flagstaff and normally I'll stay for like four to six weeks. Um, It's just kind of nice. You know, I've done two marathons already this year. So it's nice to kind of like start a build off somewhere new where you're not comparing times and things like that. And, and when you're higher, you know, paces are going to be different anyways. So uh, it's just a little refreshing to kind of to get out of your like bubble for a little bit. Yeah. So you just mentioned when you go higher, the paces are, are going to adjust, of course, with, with that effort change. What does that look like for you? How, how much different is it? But for the average runner, we're spending all of our time largely probably close to sea level in most of the United States. Um, what does that adjustment from Boulder to Mammoth look like in your training? 
Yeah, it, it more when it comes to like intervals on the track, uh, might just be a couple of seconds slower, but we'll take a little bit more recovery. So maybe I'll normally have, you know, maybe I'm doing Ks and I normally have 90 seconds, but then I'll get two minutes kind of up here, just having like a little extra time to replenish before getting back at it. Is there an adjustment window you notice, say when you first went to Mammoth, those first few days, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, I think it really helps coming from altitude, going to a higher altitude. But if I was coming from sea level, um, I would definitely take like two weeks of super easy, just like normal runs. But I, I do have the benefit of, you know, already being at altitude. So it's not a crazy jump, but just like adjusting expectations a little bit. Yeah, I remember going to Utah for a race and I think I had some allergy issues, but also just the altitude uh, it was about 6,000, I think maybe. And mm-hmm. I just felt kind of sick the first few days. Getting used to that was a real transition. Yeah. And that's so normal. I feel like I talked to a lot of people that um, I do some coaching myself and, you know, athletes that'll go up high for vacations and things. And they just are like, oh my gosh, I felt miserable while I was there. I was like, oh, but if you gave it like another week, I think you would have come around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the the great piece you have with being able to stay for a few weeks to a month. Mammoth has such significance in American marathoning with the history of Joe V. Hill and Bob Larson and Meb and Dina and Ryan Hall. It's maybe the place we can identify more than any other as the genesis for group training at altitude leading to an American distance running renaissance. So in your short stay here so far, what do you think has made Mammoth special to you? it's incredible. I think it's, it's a very small town. So I feel like you, if there's a team up here, like you're going to become very close just because you're going to be seeing each other every day and doing a lot of runs together. But, um, yeah, I think the history here is, is amazing. I've got to run with Dean a few times. Like the track club has been amazing. It let me hop into a couple of their workouts and I think they're just so inclusive and they still just give off such a community, you know, feel that it's, it is, it's very fun to, to be up here with them. What's the most sage advice that Dina has given you on a run? Oh my gosh. I feel like I could just talk to Dina uh, for hours, but I think Dina's just like, you know, she was just so good throughout her career and I feel like she was patient and she kind of let things kind of come along. So I was kind of picking her brain a little bit about where to fit in like a build-up race and, you know, where to go. And I think she just was kind of like, you got to trust yourself, like trust your training, trust that you're making the right decisions. And Yeah, I just, I love to kind of pick her brain about everything. Did you read her book on the mental side of running? Let your mind run? Yeah, I've read it a couple times, actually. It's it's a good one. Yeah, it's exceptional. That is a super recommendation for everybody who wants to look not just at the physical aspects of training, but so much of the mental that goes into making a distance running career special. Uh, You've been working with legendary Australian runner Benita Willis as your coach recently. What has that relationship brought to your training? Yeah, it's it's been great. I've been uh, working with Benita. It feels like it's been a long time, but it's actually only been about exactly a year. We started together last uh, beginning of August last year, and I think it's just been really refreshing. Um, she obviously is a legend. She's done you know so many incredible things on the track and the road. So I just I feel like I just really trust what she's giving me. Um, and she, it's training that she's done, it's training that she knows that's worked. So I I always feel you know, a lot of ease being like, okay, like the best, one of the best runners in the world is telling me to do this. Like, I know it's, it's a good thing to do. And 
Um, I think we've just brought in more volume, like longer repeats, um, like pretty specific paced long runs. And it's, uh, it's all been, I feel like really beneficial. Yeah. So do you see that influence of Australian training versus what you had done previous in your career? You know, it's not, it's not too crazy. I feel like we're all kind of working with like similar variables, but it's just kind of how you structure the week and kind of like how you plan things long-term. And, and like I said, she obviously is so knowledgeable and she, uh, she's led me in the right direction, uh, so far. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she's also just a wonderful person. So I feel like anytime you and your coach get along really well, um, and are just honestly friends, like it's, it kind of helps too. Yeah, I'd say uh, the past year, it has definitely gone in, in a great direction for you. I read that you two finally just met in person for Gold Coast Marathon. Yes, I actually, um, I went out about a week early and um, she lives about 30 minutes from where the, you know, the race hotel was. So I stayed with her and her partner for about five days and they were just so kind, so hospitable, like, you know, let me stay there. I felt like I was on vacation for a little bit. I was running to the beach every day. Like we were checking out all the coffee shops. Um, and I had to remind myself like, oh gosh, I, I have a marathon in like a couple days, but <laughs> they were just, they were just so kind. And I think it was special, uh, having her at the, the race and it ended up going well. And, and just knowing she was on the course was really helpful. What a fun and uh, timely connection to be able to do that just before you break through and win that race. You mentioned how maybe the biggest thing is just a little change in how you structure the week and the mileage. Could you take us through a, a typical training week? It doesn't have to be the specifics, but an outline of uh, what your training looks like. Yeah. So, um, you know, I feel like when I'm in a marathon buildup, I'm probably running about 120 miles a week. And uh, Tuesday, I'm normally on the track. Like it's something that, you know, I've strayed away from for a little bit in my marathoning career, but I found that I just feel so strong and I need to keep those faster paces in my legs. So Benita's been great. Like we're on the track normally every single Tuesday, or I mean, obviously you could do repeats on the road too, but something faster on Tuesday. And then Fridays normally some sort of pretty like decent tempo run. It might be tempo intervals or like a long straight tempo. And then uh, Sunday is always going to be a long run. And I always do those like over hills, sometimes a little bit faster, kind of mix it up from week to week. And then, you know, in between, there's just a lot of miles, you know, Wednesdays, like normally kind of like a second long run day. I'll normally do about two hours that day. And, and every other day it's um, two runs, uh, two runs every day. A lot of easy miles, I assume, on those days in between? Oh, yes. Yeah. So many easy miles. I feel like every day is like a minimum of, you know, 15 miles. And, and that's, it's, it's honestly, the, the marathon is so aerobic and it's a lot of time on feet and just easy miles. So I would say that's like, that's a huge part of, of the training. Let's go back to that Tuesday. First, you, mm -hmm. you mentioned that you're often on the track. Do you have a favorite Tuesday session? Yeah, I love, um, it's funny. I love one K's. Um, I hate 800s, but I love K's. So I feel like I could do K's like every week. And it's, it's a workout that just, it makes you so strong. Like, you know, I don't, we don't normally have a lot of rest in between, um, intervals. So it'll be like, K, you know, short 200 jog, maybe like a 70 seconds max, and then just kind of go again. And, um, I found that I just get so fit by doing repeats on the track. So that's, that's a favorite. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not super speedy, but I, I do actually love doing maybe it's 20 by 400 and just like mm -hmm. totally mixing it up. But, um, but yeah, there's so many different 
different track workouts you could do. And uh, I actually, you know, I am a marathoner, but I do enjoy kind of getting in uh, and doing those workouts. What pace do you do that uh, 20 by 400 at? It, it's interesting you brought that up because we discussed uh, this workout maybe an episode or two ago. My buddies and I were out at the track doing it last week, and I'd love to know what that composition is for you. Yeah, well, I, it probably changes each time, but normally, yeah, it would be like 20 by 400 with a, with a minute in between each one and maybe in between like after 10, you might take an extra minute, but probably starting around like maybe the first set is 74 and then you just cut down each set. So they're not crazy fast, but you're still, you know, it's more just like not a lot of rest. You just kind of like keep going at it. Okay. So tomorrow is, uh, we're recording on Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday. So longer tempo day than planned for tomorrow or broken tempo. Yeah, I have, um, I'll have a long warm up. I think I'll have about uh, six or eight miles and then I'll have two by four miles with um, a float on each end. So a, mm. a nine mile tempo session and then finish up with another six to eight miles. So it'll be about 22 for the day. And that's that's one session that we normally kind of kick off our, our marathon buildup with. So I'll do, uh, I'll do that one tomorrow. I love it. And given that you're at eight-ish thousand feet, when you do a tempo run, we're looking at marathon type effort. How do you translate that? Yeah, it'll definitely be more effort. You know, I don't think I'll be running a uh, 530 pace up here for the nine miles. It's, it's amazing as that would be. So um, I think I definitely have a range. She told me to feel it out. Like everything is decently hilly here. So you take that into consideration. So she just said, you know, obviously feel out the paces and, and I'll kind of see how that goes once I'm out there. But it might even be like, you know, 10 seconds a mile, uh, 10 to 12 seconds, probably a little bit slower. Then on Sunday, do you keep that long run? easy or do you do specific work in that as well? Um, no, Sunday, will, I think I'll have uh, two hours just easy over hills. Okay. So yeah. we'll kind of mix, yeah, we'll mix it up every week. Like sometimes like the workout on Friday is, you know, much shorter and I'll have a double run and Sunday's a little bit harder, but I kind of like to alternate the weeks, like a new stimulus and you're always kind of doing something a little bit different. Yeah. It's so fascinating because you're right. It's, it's not necessarily secrets that you are working on here, but just composing it in the way that works best for you. Certainly it worked well for you at Gold Coast. So let's talk more about that. You had a relatively quick turnaround from Paris to Gold Coast. Great race at Paris. Did that change the training at all or yield any sort of abridged training cycle or was that fairly typical for you? No, it was, um, I normally wouldn't do a summer marathon. It's just not right. something in the U S that we really have the luxury of because it's, it's honestly just miserably hot everywhere. Yeah. So going to, so going to Gold Coast was really cool, but no, Paris was definitely an abbreviated buildup. Like I took some time off after that and probably only really had maybe like seven or eight weeks of like real marathon type work. And it was a little bit scaled back. Like, I mean, if you have such a huge base from, you know, an April race, you don't need to do this like crazy long buildup. So that, that, uh, buildup was abbreviated, but I feel like the, the Paris fitness kind of just carried over. Yeah. How about that benefit of flipping to winter, as you said, going into the Southern hemisphere, I suspect you were training in some pretty warm conditions through up through June in Boulder. What was that, uh, weather contrast like? Yeah, I'm typically not great in the heat. So I think my biggest concern was that it could be like a warm day at Gold Coast. And uh, 
we got really lucky. It was 60 degrees at the start, which is a little bit warmer mm-hmm. for me considered. And it was 100% humidity. So I think I was a little bit nervous just coming from a very dry climate. I didn't know exactly how that would feel. But then kind of once I got going, I had been doing a lot of workouts in 80 plus degrees. And I was like, okay, actually, it really helped doing that because the 60 didn't feel feel bad at all. You're describing the sensation that we all hope to feel leaving August right now for our fall races. That's what we keep telling ourselves in these warm yes. months. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's so true. It helps. It helps quite a bit. Two twenty four personal best and a course record. Your first big marathon victory. I assume competing to win was the goal, but did you have any time target in mind going in? Um, no, there was no really time pace kind of like goal. I just, you know, I was going there. I really want to just compete well. And, and, you know, Benita and I talked about it, that I could be up there and in contention for the win. Like it was a very strong field. So you, you honestly never know what's going to happen in a marathon, but, um, we, um, the pace, there was a pacer and he said he was going to go out at about 72 flat. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, let's just, I'll ride the pace for a little bit, like see how it feels like kind of in my mind, I thought that might be too fast, but kind of felt it out. But once I got going, like found a really nice rhythm and, uh, just kind of stuck with him and then was on that pace pretty much until maybe, maybe 5k to go. So it actually felt pretty good. And then it was actually the most even I've, I think I run a marathon. I think I was like, 72 flat and then like 72, 43 or whatever it was. So I was thrilled with the time. Like, I think sometimes when you go in and you're not chasing a specific time, like it comes a little bit more naturally, you're not forcing it. So uh, really happy with how everything turned out. Yeah. So many times the fastest races occur when we just focus on competing and and being our best, not a number. Yeah. It's great advice. Uh, How much did that men's pack that you had for maybe 30 to 35K help you out? Yeah, we had a pretty good group of men through halfway. And then about halfway is kind of what everyone, you know, as it typically does in a marathon, kind of separates. So I want to say up until about 30K, uh, there was the pacer, myself, and at least one other guy. So just Mm -hmm. having like the three of us like kind of working together, it was it was so helpful. And I don't typically run uh, races with pacers. So just like having the luxury of that, I was like, wow, this is, this is really nice. Like you, you don't really get this that often. So just tucking in and just like, you know, like I ran Paris in April and I, I ran 18 miles of that by myself. So just like having people around me was like, it was a game changer. That was Brad from Inside Running doing your pacing, correct? Yes, it was. I, I found out afterwards that he does have his own podcast, which is very cool. Yeah, they're they're huge. They're they're stars in Australia. It looked like you had a decent amount of communication with him throughout the race. Uh, what kind of guidance was he giving you? Yeah, I think early on, like because there was such a large men's pack, he he didn't know where I was, um, and I think he was just kind of looking around. He was like, "Lindsay, like, is is this the pace okay?" And I just was like, "Oh yeah, like it's fine. Just kind of keep going." And then I didn't really know what pace we were running because I wasn't looking at my watch. So he was. I felt like he did a pretty good job of checking in because it was just me and him and being like, Hey, like, how does the pace feel? Do you want to just keep it pretty even? And I was like, yeah, like, this is great. Let's just kind of keep clicking it off. So I really appreciated that he, you know, was checking in and that he agreed to go to 30 K because that's a pretty long way um, to have someone pace to. What are you processing late in a race uh, like Gold Coast when you are clearly fatigued? 
you've put your mind and body through the battle of a marathon distance, but a big mark and a course record are still attainable. Yeah. I mean, after halfway, like I could tell I was working a little bit harder and I honestly never looked at my watch. So I personally, like, I thought the time would probably be like closer to 226. I was like, oh, I'm probably slowing down, but didn't want to get discouraged. And I think it's good just to sometimes not look at the watch and just go by how you're feeling. But I did know that I was in the lead. So kind of when you make this, you make this little hairpin turn with about um, probably was like two, two miles to go. So you can finally see how far people are, you know, coming in the other direction. And I saw Lisa, who's an incredible athlete and who's run so fast in the 10 K recently. And, um, I saw her and I think that that was like the kick I needed that last little bit. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, you kept the lead for so long. Like you don't want to lose it the last little bit. So I think that having that in my mind and knowing how speedy she is, I just like kind of helped me get to the finish line. And when I made the final turn and I saw the 224 on the clock. I was honestly shocked. I I didn't know that I was running that time, but uh, was just so happy. And I felt like it was a long time coming. Have had a lot of, you know, really good buildups and maybe races that didn't reflect kind of the fitness I was in. And I was, this was kind of a time where I felt like everything came together. Uh, what do you think might, you might be able to attribute that to, that it came together better at Gold Coast than maybe in previous attempts where you had really good training? I think honestly, the consistency, like I didn't, my like training leading up to the race, I wouldn't say was like stellar. It was, you know, very average, but that was marathon number 14. And I've Mm -hmm. stacked together so many buildups and so many months of work that like sometimes that work doesn't show when you'd really love it to. And, um, I think that finally, like this was a day where, you know, things did click and all the work did pay off. And, and I also think just like not forcing the pace where maybe I've done that in the past and like went into a race with like a very specific goal time and like, didn't let outside factors like the weather and things like change, maybe the pace that I, I went out in. And I think just not forcing it was kind of really just a blessing. Uh, yeah. The virtue of patience and consistency for sure. Did you make that decision going in that you weren't going to look at the watch at all? Yeah, I mean, I've I've done that before in races where I was like really obsessed with hitting paces. And I think it can just be so discouraging because, you know, early on, you know, it takes me a little bit to get into a race. Like my first 5K might be like my slowest. I just, it takes me a little bit. So I think just not obsessing over the pace and, and more just listening to your body is, is way better. And, um, for me, I, I was gonna, I mean, you're going to run the way you're going to run anyways, just based on how you're feeling. So I just didn't want, I didn't want the watch to dictate kind of the, uh, the outcome of things. Yeah. Uh, you had a fairly commanding lead, even, uh, from the 10 K mark on uh, how aware of that were you? I know you said that you saw Lisa there late at the turnaround point, but, uh, through the middle portion of, of the race, did you realize the cushion that you had? Honestly, no. I mean, I I knew I had my pack, and I I could I could hear this like there was you know spectators, and I couldn't hear anyone saying like any of the other women's names as like they would if they were close by. So I assumed I had a little bit of a lead, but you never want yourself to get too comfortable. So I never let myself really think that it was a big lead. And I was like, you got to just focus and kind of keep at it. And it it really, it wasn't until two miles to go that I actually was able to see where all the women kind of were throughout the the course. 
it's funny you mentioned that it gave you a, a little kick when you saw her because uh, you had been on course record pace all day. And then with a, a few miles to go, it it faded, I believe, at one of the marks, uh, maybe in the 35 to 40K range, you had fallen like two to three seconds behind what the previous record holder ran. And, and you made a clear move at the finish. Uh, <laughs> and, and so it's, it, it's very interesting to know that that was inspired in part, again, by competition, not just the thought about time. Yeah, I, I'm again, like, I didn't even know the time, but it was, uh, I think I did slow. Like, there's a part of the course where you're going over some bridges mm-hmm. and there's some hills. So I think that um, it was probably a little bit after 30K, probably closer to 35K. I think I slowed down and I could feel myself slowing down. And then you make that turn and it does kind of flatten out again. So seeing her having like a, a little flat stretch ahead of me and just like, you know, the crowd picks up at the end. So there was a lot of excitement to just like haul as fast as I could kind of to the finish. <laughs> Yeah, it looked like a great finishing shoot that they had there. Have have you watched any of the race? No, I've seen like a couple clips that people have posted, uh, but it would be fun to go back and actually, I mean, I never really go back and watch my own marathons, but yeah. um, because normally, you know, the camera is everywhere and it's focused on like the leaders and, you know, you're not always in the lead packs. So it'd be interesting to go back and see if, you know, cause the camera probably was on me for a little bit. Yeah. You had a ton of coverage, Lindsay. And I always think to myself, when I see those race photos, I, gosh, I, I sure thought I looked better at that point in, <laughs> in the race. Uh, but the reason I brought it up is maybe it was the last 50 meters, that very last stretch the joy on your face at the end of that race. I hope you go back and watch it and get to see at least that moment. What's going through your mind as you see that tape to to finish the victory? Yeah, well, it was it was so exciting, one, to turn and, and see the clock because, again, I thought it was probably going to say, like, 226, 227. So I was like, whoa, 224, this is great. And they had told us the course record the day before, but I was like, oh, that's not really relevant to me. Like, I don't think that matters. And then I, I remembered as I was like coming down the stretch, I was like, oh man, I think it was probably right under 224.50. So you got to yeah. like go. And so then I like had a little bit left. It was just smiling because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do it. At any time you kind of realize that, that like it's all coming together because in a marathon, very rarely does it all come together. So I was just so thrilled that I just kind of had the day that I felt like I'd been training for for a long time. Yeah, the other piece to that is you have the great Steve Monaghetti on the commentary, which is so neat to hear him talking about your race. And that last turn that you make into that shoot, he comments that, I figure it's going to be about a minute from here. So she Mm -hmm. is right on this. And, you know, you're you're adding some tension to that moment for the crowd. That's got to be pretty cool, though, to, to hear someone like Mono giving you praise throughout this race. They really got to you at about the 10K mark in but better part of two hours. Mono is talking about Lindsay Flanagan and how, how great she must feel on the day. Could you put that in perspective for me of, of the things that you have experienced in your career and where you are now to be on that scale? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously he's a legend and they're all legends. So having them like invested in your race and just like really excited for you is really cool. But, um, I feel like I've come a long way since I've, I've started, like I said, that was number, uh, 14, the marathon and, and there's been some really ugly ones and as there always are going to be. So 
Um, I feel like I've like stuck with the sport and I feel like it just kind of shows like if you're patient and like you just let the training come, you know, things will work out. Like it might not work out when you expect it to, but like things will come together eventually. Yeah. Which of the ASICs super shoes did you race in? I wore the Metaspeed Sky Plus and mm-hmm. um, I also wore that one in Paris and they're truly fantastic shoes and it was an ASIC sponsored race. So it was really cool. I felt like in Paris and at Gold Coast, like everyone was in those shoes, which was super fun to see. And like people were running incredibly fast. And um, yeah, I think that they're they're really fantastic. Yeah. So the Sky Plus for your last two, did you race in the original iteration of the Metaspeed Sky before that at all? I did. Yes. All um, last year we were in uh, normal Metaspeed Sky. I raced Chicago Marathon in the uh, the Sky, the original version. And then starting my first race in the plus was at the New York City Half Marathon okay. in uh, March. So I've been in that shoe since then. And um, yeah, it's my go to. I feel like I'm like flying through pairs of those because I do like a lot of my longer sessions in them. But yeah, they've, uh, I feel like they've really just kind of, they've been a game changer. And I feel like the recovery is, is great and really just allowed me to run two marathons in, in 12 weeks. Really interesting that you brought that up because that's, that's a point that we've preached on here a bit. It feels like the recovery, the ability to do your sessions and bounce back more fresh than we all did 10 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is one of the great values of those shoes. There's a lot of hype around the plus uh, that we see on YouTube reviews and those sorts of things. And it's just now getting out to the masses. How do you feel about it uh, as compared to the original version? And what what improvements have you seen for you? Yeah, I really like it. I think the one thing it's, uh, I think that they made the front a little bit bigger and they kind of have a curved um, like plate in them. So you kind of forces you on your toes a little bit, but I think adding like a little bit more cushion up front, like it just helps me be a little bit more efficient. I feel like I'm running naturally just like more on my toes where I like tend to be a heel striker, um, which maybe isn't as efficient. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that they've, they've really been great. And I mean, they are so light, like even with that added foam in the front that, um, really it's just kind of like the ideal shoe for me and, and just kind of seeing how the other a six athletes have been doing in it. I can tell that it's, it's a really good product. Yeah. Speaking of the other a six athletes, Emma Bates, Sarah Hall at world champs to broaden out here and zoom out from, from your experience this year, the broader state of women's marathoning in the United States, we're at such a high level right now. Describe what it's like to be a part of that. And then also, what do you think is raising the bar across the board for so many women right now? It's honestly, it's so exciting just to see these times that people, you know, as someone will run a time and then the next week, I feel like someone runs a little bit faster and the energy is it's, it is contagious. And you see your competitors running these times and it it just gets you excited and it motivates you. And you're like, okay, if they can do it, why can't I do it? So I feel like we're kind of feeding off each other and like one person runs fast and then someone runs a little bit faster. And it's, it's been super cool. And, you know, starting with Kira in, in Houston and then Sarah's been consistently under, you know, I feel like she runs 222 every time she steps out there. And that's, that's so cool to see like the consistency and these women running so well later in their careers. It gives a lot of us, um, a lot of excitement and those of us that are like maybe in their late twenties, early thirties to be like, wow, I can do this for a really long time and I can keep improving for a really long time, mm-hmm. which is kind of what keeps you in the sport and, and keeps you motivated. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you're right to see, uh, in particular, Kira and Sarah just get better w- with age is remarkable. Was there any frivolous post-race spending with that prize purse money after the Gold Coast? <laughs> no, I actually, um, I bought a house and it's um, it's being built right now. So that money is uh, saved for the mortgage and for all things house related. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's very responsible of you. Uh, I know. What was the first meal after? Oh man, what did we have? Well, uh, they put on like a great little cocktail hour, which was super oh. fun. Like mono and all the and Benita and everyone was there, so we did that, and then uh, went out for uh, burgers, fries, and beers. So um, it was it was a great day. Yeah, how fun! It, it seems like that is really a top notch organization for Gold Coast. Like that gets the major level treatment. It seems. Yeah, it's a gold label race and they, you know, they do such a good job and everything is, you know, very well planned. Like they take care of the athletes really great. Like it was like a smaller field, but I felt like it was still like the treatment that you would get at a, at a major. And that was, that was really nice. Did you get to spend some time touring Australia after the race? I did. I stayed for a week afterwards and I, um, I stayed in Gold Coast for a little bit. Um, and then I went to Noosa, which is this just like beautiful coastal town. They have a national park and it was just so incredible. And then I um, went to Sydney also. So I feel like I got to do a couple little stops, but I feel like I could have spent, you know, another easily another two weeks kind of doing some more. Yeah. I've never been, and I've always wanted to go. What would be the one biggest recommendation you have for me from your time in Australia? Yeah, I would say to go to Noosa, like the beaches are just there. There's something out of just a magazine. They're beautiful. And then I wasn't running, but I did go to the national park. And there's this coastal walk you can do. It's about a two mile walk and you just parallel the beach the whole way. And the views are just stunning. And I, I feel like if you could like check that off your bucket list, that would be um, a pretty cool thing to do. Oh, how neat. Yeah, that's going on the list for sure. Uh, so you went from 12th at the Olympic trials to a 226 in Paris, and now a 224 at Gold Coast. So what's next for you on this tear? Do you have a target race scheduled ready for the fall? I do. I'm running New York City um, on November 6th, and, and I'm so excited about that one. Like The field is so stacked, and, and I do my best in a super competitive environment, and I wanted to go to the most competitive marathon this fall, so we chose New York. They always put together such a fast field, and the field came out yesterday. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's going to be such an epic day on the women and the men's side, so I just I feel honored I get to be a part of it, and anytime you're in one of those races, it's all about placing as high as you can. Like I'm not even going to think about the time. But um, yeah, hoping to have a a pretty good day there. Yeah. Have you already started to work your way through some of the the course planning, knowing that the bridges, some of the hills late in Central Park, the long straight through Manhattan? What's that looking like as you strategize in your training? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of, um, it's, it's similar to, I feel like if you're training for a Boston, like we're mm-hmm. still going to get that, you know, flatter kind of like track work in because I want to stay, you know, sharp and speedy, but there's a lot of like hilly runs, like, you know, a lot of hilly long runs, all the tempos are going to be over hills. So just kind of incorporating more of that, just making sure that, you know, your quads are calloused for the, the up and down hills and some of the pace changes that are probably going to happen when you hit those stretches. 
last thing then, Lindsay, before we go, I, I always end with this one. It's it's profoundly important to me. It's breakfast time the day after New York City. You've had a great race. Okay. You got to make a decision about what you're going to eat. And I'm going to give you three options that I want you to rank for me. Okay. You can I got this. Okay. I like it. You can have <laughs> waffles, French toast, or pancakes. Ooh, okay. So we're going to start with the pancakes. Then we're going to go um, French toast. And then I got to put the waffle last. But pancakes are probably my favorite food. So oh, okay. love the question. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to go with like a fancy pancake too. Like it's not just going to be like the basic. I feel like they've got in like everything is, you know, fancier now. So uh, we're going pancakes at like a, a very classy restaurant. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so you're putting like some topping on there, maybe some fruit or whipped cream or something like that. Oh yeah. It, it's actually in, uh, after Chicago marathon, we always go to this place called the yoke and they do these like gourmet pancakes where it's like banana bread pancakes or like lemon blueberry poppy seed pancakes. So like you always just do something fun. So they're going to be like sweet and like just a a really delicious breakfast. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So I interviewed Colin McCow last week, who's from Chicago. Okay. And he said he's more of a French toast guy, but actually really like mm. a, a like a breakfast sandwich kind of guy. And he said he, okay. didn't, he didn't really know of uh, where to go for the sweet breakfast in Chicago. So oh. clearly you need to get in touch with him and let him know yes. that the yoke is the spot because I believe uh, the Chicago field came out this morning and I believe he has decided on Chicago. He was weighing that in New York. So he's got a post-race breakfast to eat now. He does. Colin, I'm shocked you've not seen the yoke, but yes, he <laughs> needs to hit that up. Honestly, anyone running the race, it's like just right down the street from the race hotel. So uh, it is happening, you know, marathon morning and then the day after. But I normally go there at least two or three times when I run Chicago. Oh, I, okay. I have to try this. But also you have now created such a wait list for that restaurant for after the race. <laughs> this, this might be the best advertising they've ever gotten. I know. Unsponsored advertising for the yoke. (laughs) Hey, Lindsay, this has been fantastic. It was a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for your time. Congrats on a wonderful year so far. We are going to be cheering hard for you at New York in November. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. It was very fun to, to chat.